its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. This is going to be a very powerful conversation. And before we begin, I just want to provide an opportunity to hold the space for us to take a moment to become very present to all that is crying for our compassionate attention, especially to those around the world that are living through terrible and catastrophic circumstances, practicing presence with the intention of letting our awake and present awareness of the circumstances serve our individual and collective healing and awakening. Let us bring our presence to all those lives lost and devastated in Las Vegas, to those lives affected by the catastrophe in Puerto Rico, in the floods of India, in Houston, in Florida, those lives devastated in Syria and all the other places you feel pulled to extend your presence to. May we bring our open-hearted awareness to our governments, our fractured communities, our shattered selves, and even to those of us grieving in silence in our own homes. Without turning away, without numbing out, without subjugating our experience, without spiritual bypassing, because we are each being called to act, learning to be present to, to tend to, and to trouble ourselves with our own broken hearts is an act of sacred activism. It's a radical act of love and a manifesto for healing. So may we all take a moment of silent presence as a gesture of connectedness, love, witnessing, and healing for those places in ourselves and the world that need it most now. To sense deeper treasures, for it asks that we cease turning away from our pain, numbing ourselves and expecting spirituality to make us feel better. True spirituality is not a high, not a rush, not an altered state. It has been fine to romance it for a while, but our times call for something far more real, grounded, responsible, something radically alive and naturally integral, something that shakes us to our very core until we stop treating spiritual deepening as something to dabble in here and there. Authentic spirituality is not some little flicker or buzz of knowingness, not a psychedelic blast through or a mellow hanging out on some exalted plane of consciousness, not a bubble of immunity, but a vast fire of liberation, an exquisitely fitting crucible and sanctuary, providing both heat and light for the healing and awakening we need. This is from the book, Spiritual Bypassing, When Spirituality Disconnects Us from What Really Matters by Robert Augustus Masters. This is a book that is profoundly timely during this time of converging crises. And if you are anything like me, during these kinds of challenging times when the default mode may be to numb ourselves from the pain or distract ourselves from the discomfort or cope 
via addictions, addictions to busyness or media or substances or consumerism. But it is a time we are being called to act with grace and courage and clarity and strength and vulnerability and compassion and our own broken hearts. And I'd like to welcome you to the introduction of Dr. Robert Augustus Masters. If you did not know of his work before today, he is the founder of the Masters Center for Transformation and author of a stunning body of books, including To Be a Man, A Guide to True Masculine Power, Emotional Intimacy, A Comprehensive Guide to Connecting with the Power of Your Emotions, as well as transformation through intimacy, just to name a few. He also has a CD audio program called Knowing Your Shadow, Becoming Intimate with All That We Are. Robert Masters is a relationship expert, integral psychotherapist, and psychospiritual guide and trainer with a doctorate in psychology. His uniquely integral, intuitive work developed over the past 38 years blends the psychological and physical with the emotional and spiritual, emphasizing full-blooded embodiment and awakening, emotional openness and literacy, deep shadow work, and the development of relational maturity. At Essence, his work is about becoming more intimate with all that we are in the service of the deepest possible healing, awakening, and integration. And you can find out more at robertmasters.com. Robert, welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. And if I may extend a deep, deep bow to you for your extraordinary work that has been profoundly healing and illuminating for me personally, and I'm very delighted to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> so, Robert, I have I have so many questions. Uh-huh. Um, just, it's hard to know where to begin, but if I may, just if, if people are just now getting to, to know your work through this, um, conversation today, I wonder if we could start there, like how, um, if you could share about how you and this work came to find each other. I think it happened, um, a long time ago. I was, um, my early twenties, I was doing a PhD in, in biochemistry. I was unhappy. One day I started writing out of the blue. I just started writing. It was poetry. It was lurid. It was wild. And I was delighted to share it with people. And I started I started to write more and more, left my studies, and um, started to explore the world. And as I was doing that, I started to explore myself more. I became more of a, instead of just being a tourist, so to speak, in my own heart, I became really curious about what made me tick, uh, where I was dysfunctional. I began, it was a long, slow journey. It still continues. I mean, I've learned a lot in the last four decades, but I see this as a journey of endless discovery. It's not like there's some final rung of realization. When I was in my 30s, I thought, you know, if I meditate enough, there's a final rung, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. took me a while to realize that that doesn't, it's not a reality for me. It's it's like Mm -hmm. it's endless discovery, endless realization. Mm-hmm. And and it brings us to our knees in the most beautiful way. And it breaks our heart, like you were saying so beautifully in your prologue. It breaks us open to feeling what's going on. And a lot of my work is about denumbing, getting in touch with the deeper layers of ourselves, bringing our shadow out of the dark, and um, making ourselves available to what's going on, not just intellectually, but in all our dimensions, so that we mm-hmm. can then engage in what you called sacred activism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in society, you know, I mean, this was my own experience that just many, many years of learning 
to numb out, subjugate my experience. I had no emotional awareness training whatsoever. I'm just, it's amazing to me that I even was, was surviving um, and thriving to a degree. Uh, but how, so where do we begin? Um, maybe I'll just throw that question out there. Where do we begin? I think the first big, big step, and it's a huge step, and then we can mm-hmm. take it at deeper and deeper levels, is to turn toward our pain. Turn mm-hmm. toward what's uncomfortable. Turn toward what we normally would not turn toward. Our fear, our shame, our discomfort, our pain, our suffering. Even if we just turn in the slightest way, we're, st- we're going in the right direction. We're starting to face what needs to be mm-hmm. faced. And that mm-hmm. often happens not because we make a wise decision to do this, because life clobbers us. We suffer more than usual. We get a cosmic two-by-four across the heads. Things happen. Relationships fall apart. People die. And that takes us down, breaks us down to a deeper level. It's like the broken heart eventually becomes the broken open heart. But it has to break first. There has to be something that that shakes us out of the status quo reality we're stuck in. Mm -hmm. And that can come in many forms. As we grow wiser and older, I think we we, we don't need to be hit so hard. We Mm -hmm. can we can tell when something's off when it's just starting to get off. We don't wait until there's a major crisis in a relationship to address it. We can say to our partner early on, I feel some disconnection happening. This doesn't feel good to me. We can bring things up and work with them earlier on. But initially, I think we have to be hit pretty hard, personally mm-hmm. and, and collectively, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as you're saying that, I'm getting a sense for just like holding America you know, in its entirety and seeing that it's getting clobbered pretty hard right now. <laughs> and um, so just as you're talking about, you know, as we get older and wiser, it feels like we're sort of maybe in like a teen uh, era in as a country or something. Because well, that's compliment. I think it's even earlier. But there's okay. a, sense of, a sense of being a divided. America's been divided since it first came into being. Yeah. And, um, and the divisions are more evident now. The splits, the fracturing and the mm-hmm. fragmentation and it's it's very sad but it's also not so sad in that it's being surface surfacing enough now to be worked with in other words the shadow of america is more evident now than it was 20 years ago 30 years ago 50 years ago mm-hmm. and it coexists with personal shadow work mm-hmm. working with what we tend to hide uh, deny about ourselves project onto others or as a nation project onto other nations they're the bad ones or the good ones that type of thing so there's an, there's an awakening possible in this, but it coexists with a, an enormous amount of numbing and, and distraction. And mm-hmm. it's a very difficult corner that has to be turned. It's going to take a lot more than just um, some enthusiasm and a, and a few good weekend workshops. It requires mm-hmm. an enormous uh, alignment within ourselves to take that on. Mm-hmm. And I think hence the need for deep, deep work on oneself, not just spiritually, but psychologically, emotionally, in all in all all forms, mm-hmm. and I know you're a proponent of psychotherapy, and I um, my own journey began with integrating mindfulness because I grew up in a family and really a society that doesn't, at least at the time, was not particularly open or encouraging of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I mean the mindfulness, of course, did an incredible degree of healing and it almost like sort of set the groundwork for the great, uh, you know, healing journey that psychotherapy brought. 
Well, so most I'm, psychotherapy to me doesn't deserve the name, to be blunt, because okay. it, it doesn't doesn't deal with the spirit, doesn't deal with mindfulness, yes. it doesn't deal with the body. Yes. I think a, a truly a truly healthy spirit, uh, psychotherapy is inherently spiritual, it's integral, mm-hmm. it's intuitive, <clears throat> it does not deny the body or emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even call myself a psychotherapist anymore, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I was interviewed about this recently, and I said, for me, psychotherapy and spirituality are, are two aspects of the same great process, the process of healing and awakening and integration, truly waking up and growing up. And psychotherapy can play its part if it's not overly cognitive. Mm-hmm. And spirituality can also be part of it if it, if it allows itself to be intimate with our um, more mundane dimensions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about then, you know, I know the terminology psychotherapy uh, you're moving away from. And so what type of one-on-one work if that is the case of what you're recommending for helping people i think i call it psycho-spiritual okay it it, it, it includes it's not just redo a bunch of therapy and throw a little mindfulness practice at the end of the session it's where the mindfulness is present throughout and it also has to coexist with a um, uh, trauma work uh, Mm -hmm. intense emotional release so it's often a chaotic, messy process. It's not some very quiet thing like happens in a meditation hall. It's very vital. It's like birth. Mm-hmm. It's inherently messy. And I think when it all works together, um, the results are a lot deeper. Mm-hmm. And when I'm working, I go I go into a group without any structure or plan always. I've done, done that for decades now. And structure emerges organically. And mm-hmm. I'm leading quite strongly sometimes, but I'm being led by what I pick up moment to moment. So I'm being guided and led the whole time by people's energies, the intentions, what's unspoken perhaps. Mm-hmm. And and it generates a sense of deep safety. Mm-hmm. That's why I have such passion for doing this kind of work. Writing us alone is not enough for me. I have to I like to be with people face to face in group situations and do deep work with them. Mm-hmm. Shadow work, trauma work. And, and in that, I'm not trying to be uh, wear a certain hat. It all happens at once. It's like an integral consciousness is present in everyone when this is going on. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you talk about being led by what's happening in the moment, can you speak to what you have needed to develop? What's type, what kind of sensitivity have you needed to uh, develop and grow uh, in you to be able to respond in that well, way it's about being present but it's about more than being because we can be present and still be disconnected and too detached mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's about um cultivating a state of not knowing so i don't know what's coming next but i'm open mm-hmm. i'm spacious so whatever comes my radar my intuitive radar is on high so the mm-hmm. best best moves arise. My intuit, intuition is that's the hardest thing I have to teach people when I train them to be working my way, is to feel their intuition fully and to trust it, mm-hmm. and to keep in the context of feeling compassionately connected with whoever's before them. So the closer I am to who I'm working with, empathetically close, the more skillful I'll be. Mm-hmm. And implicit in that is a certain intimacy. And that doesn't mean a fusion with that person or becoming at one with them. It means having just enough distance from them and the situation they're in to handle the things skillfully. Just like if your child is really hurt, your heart goes out to your child, but you don't lose yourself in that child's reality so much that you can't call 911 or do first mm-hmm. aid. You have mm-hmm. that subtle empathic shield in place. Mm-hmm. 
Why would you say we are so afraid of our of the shadow of our shadow side and um, when we ignore it what do you what would you say we are missing there we're missing so much but the thing is most people are keep things in their shadow because they associate what's in there with danger or the loss of love like if say for example if one if you keep your anger mostly in your shadow you're full of anger it may be because as a child you learned that any expression of anger meant a loss of love danger <clears throat> something really unpleasant happening mm-hmm. so you, you grew up learning to keep it in the shadow or you maybe find a spiritual path that says that's a virtue to do that and and you um are missing so much because then you don't have your anger as an ally. You don't have it to uh, serve as a guardian of boundaries. You're missing a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think what's in our shadows, whatever we've disowned, uh, turned away from, uh, is basically all of our unilluminated, not yet face conditioning. So it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. All that stuff's in there. And if we don't face it and know it, it will run us. We'll wonder why we pick the same type of dysfunctional partner over and over again, or we say the same things in stupid arguments. It's because the impetus for that is in our shadow. The the history of it is in our shadow. We have not looked yet. So I think bringing our shadow out of the dark is an enormously important step for us as a species now, not just individually, but for all of us, to take a look. Like you look at the leadership in America, how much of that is as is, is shadow uh, literate it's not it's not yeah. there's narcissism is running things there's a sense of of being so remarkably out of touch that psychotherapy yeah. the very term psychotherapy or counseling is taken as a sign of this is a bad thing you don't want a leader uh, having admitted doing psychotherapy or counseling because that means they're not competent mm-hmm. that's how we tend to look at it yeah yeah so I wonder if we could, you have a beautiful book or a beautiful chapter in your book on shame. And if you could connect that to my senses, you know, that part of the reason we don't want to bring the shadow out of the dark is to, is because there's so much shame yeah, associated yeah. with that. There I wonder is. If you could speak to there's even shame about having shame. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's shame. It's like, like we don't want to. It's, it's and shame is so prevalent. We tend to, in our culture, unfortunately, we think shame is this bad thing. There's a lot of books about shame being, it gets portrayed as somehow just a negative emotion, something that's in the way. I, I like to think of shame as having healthy and unhealthy dimensions. The healthy shame is simply um, activates your conscience. It's a sense you've you've crossed the line somehow. You've hurt someone. And when you feel your healthy shame and stay with it, you can make amends, say you're sorry, and move on. Unhealthy shame is what most of us feel when we say the word shame or I'm ashamed of whatever. It's toxic. It's not addressed, aimed at, at our behavior. It's aimed at us mm-hmm. as a being. Mm-hmm. And and it often takes shape and form very inner critic. And here's what happens with shame in so many of us, especially us men, but women too, is that it's so damned uncomfortable, such a squirmy emotion, it's so mortifying that we want to get away from it as soon as we can or as best we can. That's quite understandable. Mm-hmm. When we try and get away from the shame, it can get converted into very quickly into withdrawal, dissociation, shutting down. It also can be converted perhaps just as often into aggression, aggression towards others or towards mm-hmm. ourselves. So if you think a, a, a certain type of person has really got a lot of 
hostility and anger toward people, very critical, will never say they're sorry, the odds are very high that they've got shame jammed up tight in their shadow. And their shame is the primary emotion, and it's been manifested through their aggression towards others and their refusal to say, I'm sorry. And and once, especially men, once men get in touch with that, their shame, then the vulnerability comes and the tears come, then the ability to be angry in a healthy way emerges. So that a man like that doesn't get aggressive or attacking with others, but he gets angry. Mm -hmm. He can express fire. He can express passion. Mm -hmm. That leads me to the concept or the um, that you speak to about emotional intimacy. Yeah. So I wonder if you could speak to that. You know, I know you're talking about anger and some really big emotions here, but well, the thing is, the thing is to hand, handle one's anger skillfully. You have to be intimate with it. You have to know it, not just, you have to know your history with it and know it, what, what it feels like in your body, yeah. the signs of it arising. And when that, let me excuse me, when that happens, you start to know your anger better. And the better mm -hmm. I know my anger, the more likely I am to use it skillfully. Mm -hmm. I won't squish it down, I won't squash it, I won't just vent it and dump on people, but I will get angry in a way that doesn't do damage. In other words, I'll be angry in a way where I have some degree of heart. Mm -hmm. So if I'm angry at you and we're friends, I'll be heated, I could be loud, I could be fiery, but you can still tell I'm caring about you. Mm -hmm. I may not look like it, but I am. That type of anger is safe as opposed mm -hmm. to a more aggressive style or hostile style, which is not safe. It's just an attack on one. Mm -hmm. um, to be intimate with an emotion means to, to know it really well. And, and implicit in that is exploring your emotions, exploring your history with them. So I have an entire book on uh, emotional literacy. It's called mm -hmm. Emotional Intimacy, but it's really about emotional literacy, knowing them inside out, knowing that how they relate to each other. How does fear relate to anger? Where, what is grief? How is grief's relationship to anger? Um, there's so much to say about it. And we were not taught, I, mean, I certainly wasn't, there was no emotional literacy one-on-one when I was in school. And that was a long time ago, but it's sad now, a half century later, we still don't have emotional literacy. It's been taught hardly, it's not been taught, so I end up teaching it. Every one of my men's groups, I'm teaching that. The mm -hmm. women's group's less, but I still have to teach some of it around anger, especially. But, mm -hmm. but there's, it's, it's not been taught, and it's so necessary. Yeah. I mean, without that, um, we can blow off the handle, and someone says they don't like it, and they'll, we can just say, well, I'm just showing my feelings. You wanted me to show my feelings? Here they are. There's no responsibility. It's a mess, and it can be remedied very easily. It's, it's, it's something that can be taught. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know our emotions well, we won't have we'll have a hard time doing our shadow work. We really will. We won't. We'll, we'll confuse what's in there. We won't know if it's shame at the bottom or anger. We won't. We basically will. We will be blinded to quite a degree by our emotional literacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really where. I engaged with spiritual bypassing the way when I first started noticing when I was learning, you know, just the to be the language around spiritual bypassing. It was, yeah. you know, having this this powerful present moment awareness that I could really drop into my body. It feels mm -hmm. very. I feel very grounded. I can feel very safe here, and then, uh, and yet not having the the emotional literacy behind know, that because an emotion could come up and then I, I'm uncomfortable with it and then I'm like oh well I could just drop right back in my body everything's safe and fine here so mm -hmm. that to me was a, a, it, I mean am I expressing some aspect of spiritual bypassing there 
that I was engaged yeah, yeah. in that a bit? Okay. Yeah, yeah. and also, and I, I think of all the couples, I, I, I do a lot of couples work. It's, my, it's the smallest group, and I really like working with couples that really want to go deeper in their relationship. What I see again and again is emotional illiteracy. And instead of sharing what's going on emotionally between the two, just saying, I'm angry, I'm sad, my guts are tight, I notice my back feels this, whatever. Just sharing things that can't be debated, they're just data. There'll be tendencies instead to argue and make points, I don't feel like you're hearing me, and but this and that, and there's no intimacy. Mm-hmm. As soon as they learn how to share their emotions in a way that's non, non-debatable and is empathetically bound, um, then they can they connect almost always. And then they can return to the surface where the cognition is not flowing that well. And they can uh, converse more skillfully. Mm-hmm. It seems like such a no-brainer because <laughs> we we learn we know emotions when we're little. Most most children that are past mm-hmm. a certain age, when they get five, six, they can they can differentiate their emotions really well. They can be taught them. They can be taught how to release them. Um, but but if their parents aren't practicing that, they don't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen men in their sixties and seventies who are so sad because they just. They're so out of touch, and they realize now, this is why my marriage isn't working. This is why she left me. This is why my kids don't want to speak to me, because they don't know the language of feeling. Mm-hmm. Or if they do use the word feel, they'll go, I feel like, or I, which is not really a feeling. It's a perception, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. et cetera. So. Yeah, it seems like you know you mentioned how we, we begin to learn how to drop into and communicate with each other at this level of feeling, and so there's... Like you can't argue with that because mm-hmm. you're at this other level. And then there also seems to be this piece of vulnerability. It's a shared vulnerability and that I that feels like could would in and of itself grow an empathic connection. It does. Too. I think that's, okay. that I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think vulnerability, if I see a couple in trouble or someone in a group is stuck, I'll inquire into their vulnerability without shaming them and then start to show them what they're, what's, what's covering it and how to get to it. I usually can get to it quite quickly because I know their history and I can bring in their history and suddenly there's some tears or some trembling in the body. And then they see when they're vulnerable, the other person just opens up like a blossom. They blossom because mm-hmm. it feels so good to see someone step into that heart-opening place. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability can be scary. It's a risk. But I think the bigger risk is staying invulnerable and stoic and tight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it is time to take a short break. And before we go, I'd love to share an excerpt from Dr. Master's book, Spiritual Bypassing, When Spirituality Disconnects Us from What What Really Matters. He says, most of the time when we are immersed in spiritual bypassing, we we like the light, but not the heat. And when we are caught up in the grosser forms of spiritual bypassing, we'd usually much rather theorize about the frontiers of consciousness than actually go there, suppressing the fire rather than breathing it even more alive, espousing the ideal of unconditional love but not permitting love to show up in its more challenging personal dimensions. To do so would be too hot, too scary, too out of control, bringing things to the surface that we have long disowned or suppressed. You are listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, and our guest today is Dr. Robert Augustus Masters. You can connect with Dr. Masters' amazing work at robertmasters.com, and we will be right back after this short break.
In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices, facing challenging realities head on, opening up new places of power, and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Um, I, before we get started, I'd love to share another quote from uh, Dr. Robert Augustus Masters' book, Spiritual Bypassing. He says, But if we really want the light, we cannot afford to flee the heat. As Viktor Frankl said, what gives light must endure burning. And being with the fire's heat doesn't just mean sitting with the difficult stuff in meditation, but also going into it, trekking to its core, facing and entering and getting intimate with whatever is there, however scary or traumatic or sad or raw. So welcome back, Robert. I over the break, we were you were just talking about um, you know the prologue and just talking about what's happening in America. And I think it actually really connects with what you, this quote that you just said. I wonder if you just want to kind of pick up from where you were. I think what's implied in, in there, what you were saying, is that is that it's not enough to simply be aware. You need to be. We need to be aware of what's going on. There's a degree of wakefulness in that, but it's it's really important to translate that awareness into action. So, for example, I have a new book on shadow coming up um, next year from Sounds True, and I have one chapter called um, How to Hold Space for Your Shadow Elements. And in it, I look at a developmental uh, view of um, holding space. And the first way is just to be present. You're just there, and you're not affected, and you're just, which is good to cultivate. The highest level of it, I would call, is more like in the spirit of sacred activism. You're awake, you're aware, and you're taking action. You're Mm -hmm. taking action. You're not just watching it. Like a lot of, for example, some mindfulness programs I've seen just encourage people just to watch what's going on, which is valuable, but not mm-hmm. to get into it. And I think if someone comes to me full of grief, I'm not going to have them just observe it. I'm going I'm to help them move mm-hmm. it through their whole body. Mm-hmm. And it may be very loud, messy, chaotic, and go on for hours. I don't care. There's mm-hmm. a sense of connecting. And I think what's uh, happening in America and all over the world right now, the disconnection that's been there all along is, is really in our faces, the split. Mm-hmm. And and I think the one thing that helps heal that split is grieving together. Mm-hmm. One hope I have is, is for collective grief to become more of a reality. Mm-hmm. I think when people grieve together, which is fairly rare in big ways, but there's a sense, there's no fear. There's just there's this great sense of loss. There's mm-hmm. hurt. And also, there's a spiritual opening. When I feel grief, I feel spiritually quite raw. I feel more open to life. Mm-hmm. And I see it in others, too. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's important to acknowledge the split, split the divide, and and to uh, inside ourselves too, mm-hmm. say between our inner critic, our inner child, all the different aspects of us, and then to not just become the space that holds it all, but to take action that serves mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And that's always a risk because we can't do it neatly. We have to just to step into the fire. Like if you're angry at a partner, you don't have to figure out everything you're going to say ahead of time. You just let them know, I'm really angry right now. And you just start speaking and you trust where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. It may get scarier or may lead to great love quickly. <laughs> Who knows? Mm-hmm. But you, you take the risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. When you speak about grief, and when I consider my upbringing, you know, similar to yours, when you're saying no emotional awareness, as I mentioned, and not having had practice, like falling apart and knowing that I'm going to come back together and not get completely swallowed up by grief. I'm just curious, exactly, how, exactly. what's it? What's a good place to start, or how do we? How I think do it's it? about re- revisioning grief and going. You know, we do get swallowed up. We do mm-hmm. get. It's a grief is a passion. It's like lust or rage or ecstasy. It can take us over, mm-hmm. but I think it's safe. It mm-hmm. takes us over if we trust it. I've watched people in deep grief. Their body can sh- move in all kinds of unusual ways. They can shake. They can heave. They can get angry. They can be crazy. They can cry their guts out. They can be suddenly be silent with their arms raised to the skies, mm-hmm. and it all is mixed together. It's not predictable. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, you know, it goes along with, with not looking at our emotions as some lower form of, of expression. Like, say, some therapists like cognitive behavioral therapy tend to look at emotion as a subset of cognition. Mm-hmm. I think emotion is so primary. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I see it every day in my work with people. Mm-hmm. And emotion isn't just feeling. Emotion is feeling, um, cognition, conditioning, social mm-hmm. factors all mixed together. Mm-hmm. So if you study emotion, you end up studying more than just feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the study of emotion needs to be much more central. I think that can coexist with awareness practices, mm-hmm. trauma work, of course. I think it's time to find uh, ways of working on ourselves that are truly integrative, truly integral. They, everything gets brought together. We look mm-hmm. at all of it. In other words, we can see what we despise in another, in ourselves. Not that we excuse the other, but we can see our own narcissism. Mm-hmm. We can see our own capacity for violence, our own um, hard-heartedness. We can see it, and yet we still are going to call other people out on it, but we're mm-hmm. not going to let it just sit quietly in us. We're mm-hmm. going to work on it. Mm-hmm. So you see what we're called to. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great labor, a labor of love. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of your, your quote, what gives light must endure burning. Yes. Yeah. It's so yeah. true. It's so mm-hmm. true. And, and, it's just like we want we want the fire to only be light. It's also heat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I look I look at relationship like the one I'm in and ones that are go really deep. They're simultaneously a, a sanctuary of the mm-hmm. highest highest sort and also a crucible where every all the impurities are, are burned and surfaced and there's heat there's challenge mm-hmm. and it helps cut us through our our, our our thinking we're more evolved than we are. I mean. It's quite humbling to realize, oh, here I am being petty again. Here I am being reactive again. I worked on that 30 years ago. And then you feel the shame of it and you dig deeper. Ah, here I am. A little bit of self-compassion. You own up to what's going on and you move on. So you're not a perfected being. You're a work in progress. And you could be seemingly enlightened and realize, ah, that's just a step. This goes on forever. 
Mm. This goes on forever. <laughs> you you mentioned that releasing our experience from the obligation to make us feel better is an opportunity to deepen our awakening. Can you speak to that? Well, like actually, what? the original quote is releasing sex. Releasing, oh, okay. sex from, releasing sex from the obligation to make us feel better. Got it. It's a huge step because many of us are so caught up and we want sex to make us feel better or more uh-huh. secure or wanted. Uh-huh. And a lot of my work is teaching people how to release it from that expectation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In other words, instead of expecting sex to create connection, we do the opposite. We create connection first and out of that connectedness, sex can arise organically uh-huh. and naturally. Then uh-huh. there's no pressure. Uh-huh. That's a major part of my my work with with men especially. Mm. And it almost feels like you could put in all kinds of things, like not just sex, but other all yeah. other experiences well, like we have. Well, here's the ultimate yeah. release release everything from the obligation yeah. to make you feel better. Yeah. Everything. And then the paradox is when you do that, you start to feel better. <laughs> but it's not a situational high, it's a non-situational happiness. It doesn't depend on whether you're sick or not, or you're young or old, it doesn't matter. It's the joy of being. And that's worth cultivating, where you, you find you find a kind of a sobering joy that is not sh- shaken or knocked out of you because life hits you hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And speaking of that, just in one of the previous quotes I shared, you use the phrase, you know, learning to permit love to show up in its more challenging personal <clears throat> dimensions. I think just like we don't get we don't get a lot of um, or any uh, training in emotional intimacy. No, we don't. And here's, here's, we, here's one, yeah. here's, sorry, I'm interrupting. Here's yeah, one thing that they can sum it up very easily. Mm-hmm. Anger and love can coexist. Mm-hmm. Compassion and anger can coexist. And that kind of mm-hmm. runs counter to a lot of our spiritual teachings we've, we, we hear of and know of. But I've seen it firsthand over and over. They can coexist. In other words, we can be we can love someone enough to get pissed at them. Mm-hmm. We care enough to to risk them turning their backs on us because we're so upset what's going on. We're not just going to quietly tiptoe around them on eggshells and try and present our point of view. We're going to say it with some passion and some force if mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. I think that's needed too—a kind of a fiery love. Mm-hmm. I think real love is not is, is like in an intimate relationship has to coexist with so much stuff that doesn't seem loving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here's the paradox where, where we can even open our heart to our lack of open-heartedness at times. Mm-hmm. Just by, we can even trust another we love dearly and we do trust. We can trust them with our mistrust. Mm. We don't have to be in a good state to be in a great relationship. We have to be in a position where we're authentic. We can tell the truth. We're transparent and we're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And we are, and we also become more at ease, get more at ease with sharing stuff that doesn't make us look that good. Mm-hmm. We become more comfortable with our discomfort. That's an art worth learning. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you don't. Going back to the start of the, our interview, go if you don't uh, have already in your toolkit the ability to turn toward your pain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I have pain kicking out, I've had a lot of practice. My first instinct now is to turn toward it. Mm-hmm. Even if part of me is kicking this room and saying, I don't want to go near that. That's, just leave that. I've learned through experience it's far more skillful and far more healing, actually more happiness-inducing to turn toward it, even though, even though it may feel really bad momentarily. Can you describe it for us a little bit? Like 
Is it different for you every time you turn toward it, or is it familiar? Or both. It's both. Yeah. Okay. It's familiar, and it's also fresh. Okay. It's like working with people. It's very familiar to me, but it's always fresh because it's moment to moment. It's always mm-hmm. shifting as new. Mm-hmm. This is similar. So instead of bringing a, a prepackaged way of dealing with it, there's the intention to move toward it. Once you move toward it, you don't know what, quite what's going to happen. Then that mm-hmm. creates the next step for you. Or you may be back up and it's enough for you. Mm-hmm. So it's an art. Mm-hmm. There's no five easy steps to doing this. Except it begins with the intention to turn toward what's difficult and painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there are particular attitudes that you recommend that we bring as we turn towards like is that another kind of skill yeah because you know how we can be so hard on ourselves one one of them is curiosity okay where you become more curious about what's going on than wanting to be right say in an argument Uh you're more curious about what makes you tick and how you're reading the energy and how eager you are to put in your two cents worth Uh as opposed to being curious what's going on between my shoulder blades How's, how's my left eye feel different than my right eye? How, how's my breathing? What am I seeing in this person I normally love? What am I doing with the fact I, 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 I don't feel any love? My heart is shut tight. Mm-hmm. There's all of that. So it's curiosity. It's like a kid turning over the stone. What's underneath it? We don't know, but we want to find out. Mm-hmm. I think another thing to cultivate in this regard is compassion. Mm-hmm. Like to have compassion for someone we're even bothered, really bothered by. Not blind compassion when we cut them slack and we make mm-hmm. excuses for them, but we, we're compassionate and we're fiery. We're making a demand on the person, we're upset with them, but we still care. Mm-hmm. Wrathful compassion has mm-hmm. its place. Mm-hmm. Robert, you use the term what really matters throughout the book, of course, and it's in the title. And I'm curious if you, what, if you can say anything to that. Really well, so much. I mean, it's different for me each time I think of it, but it's mm-hmm. right now it would be um, turning toward and cultivating intimacy with, with our deepest healing, mm-hmm. awakening, integration, doing whatever it takes to, to bring that about. And I think also, it also parallels that what really matters to me I'm, now that I'm working with shadow more and more and more mm-hmm. is to get to know your own shadow. Mm-hmm. inside out for the sake of everyone a person that doesn't know does not know their shadow is a danger or mm-hmm. a potential danger to others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can see it in the, in the political powers in the united states there's almost zero awareness of shadow and mm-hmm. you can see the damage that's being done because of it i'm currently participating in a course that's uh facilitated in brought to us by Bioacoma Lafayette, and we're looking at, uh, you know, shadows related to an ethno-autobiography. So looking back at our family history um, with that compassionate, you know, somewhat fiery glance, but there's, it just what you're saying resonates so much with the need for us collectively to really look, I mean, like, if you think about the history, this is another aspect, like the ridiculous history that I received growing up, it had so little to do with what really happened here in the United States, you know, but with look, the, but look, and look at what preceded that history. I mean, I have one of my yes. chapters in my book is, is a chapter on uh, collective PTSD. 
Uh-huh. Where I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm arguing for the, I see as a fact that our species has PTSD. Yeah. At yeah. different degrees, it has it. There's also the um, unresolved shadow material from not just our parents, but their parents. And going, it just goes back yeah. and back and back. And when we're, yeah. we're carrying that. Mm-hmm. And we have a chance to wake up to it and literally bring our shadow out of the dark. Mm-hmm. What an enormous opportunity. Mm-hmm. What an enormous yeah. opportunity. Because if you think back at how life was, we can romanticize life a thousand years ago. We think yes. no anesthetic, the, <laughs> way more slavery than now. Just things were yeah. so, so rough. Yeah. No wonder there's a collective amnesia about that. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you just do speak to a part of that, bringing the shadow work out. And you've said this in other ways too. I think it's worth repeating is this compassion. Like it, it kind of comes together, like when you're really looking at, you know, uh, like even my ancestry, those that came to the United States were were fleeing, in many cases, terror and mm-hmm. starvation, yeah. and yeah. Um, so it makes it it makes a little more sense in how horrific way it was that these ancestors came here and then you know, perpetuated a terror on those that were here already. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's just all of that is healing to bring that up and out and acknowledge it and feel the shame as it arises. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, then you are not transmitting more of your unresolved stuff onto others. Mm -hmm. You're transmitting the working on that, the exposing of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think our I think the we have a chance to do that on a bigger and bigger scale. Yeah. Because what's 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 not working is so in our face now. I mean, we, we yeah. I remember I remember when there didn't used to be internet or anything. Mm-hmm. And and here it's so all over the place. I mean, every move someone makes, mm-hmm. Twitter, the whole thing. There's so. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's being met with a lot of numbness, and uh-huh. overwhelm. I think we have we're suffering from collective overwhelm too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this has to be a denumbing, and that begins with recognizing collective overwhelm. When there's too much information, too much data, there's yeah. data smog, and we mm-hmm. start to feel polluted internally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That has to be faced. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I'm doing a book on shadows. I just got the um, the final draft went into Sounds True a couple of days ago, so I have to, a little more, a few more edits, and the book will be out next next October. Oh, congratulations on that. That's wonderful, Robert. Subtitle, the subtitle is Breaking Free from the Hidden Forces that Drive Us. Wow. Powerful. So timely. <laughs> yeah. You see that? Yeah. Um, so how, I'm just curious, you're kind of moving about the world and how you are in relationship to all of this how uh what's it what's it look like for you as well i don't move around that i don't move around that yes. much I'm, i'll be okay. 70 70 in a couple months and i okay i'm going to china in a few weeks to teach and work there for 10 days but that's unusual for mm-hmm. me usually people come to my hometown of ashland and they just okay. do groups with me trainings mm-hmm. uh, i'm doing a bunch of stuff in hawaii this winter mm-hmm. uh women's group shadow work group uh mm-hmm. men's groups training but mostly I like to just be, be at home in my comforts mm-hmm. and doing my, my work. And I travel now and then when it's really comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Would you, what are your thoughts about 
um, like resacralizing our daily routine or ritualizing things um, without it being, I know like we could easily make it kind of trite and meaningless, but I'm curious the use of practices like that. I think it's useful for some. For me, for me, I don't, I don't find that useful. I like, I, okay. I find the whole day is like this creative adventure. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I have the benefit of having a profoundly intimate partner. So we're, we're doing that. We're flowing in and out of each other's worlds all day. I'm mm-hmm. working, writing, mm-hmm. um, ritual. I think if it, if it's vital and it's living, I think the trouble with a lot of rituals is they become kind of deadened and people do them mechanically, like mm-hmm. say doing the same prayer over and over again. Yeah. If I do prayer meditation for myself, I, I create it anew each time. Mm-hmm. So there's some parallels to what I've done before. Or if I'm doing gratitude meditation, which is one of my favorite forms, I make it up fresh each time mm-hmm. to see what arises. Mm-hmm. And for other people, I know other people that really love to have a, a set ritual for different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, I have a quote from your book that I would love to finish our our show on. And you say, life after spiritual bypassing is a committed apprenticeship to what really matters. Every situation is part of the circuit of the, it's part of the curriculum and practicum, offering the same fundamental opportunity to deepen our awakening, especially when we release our experience from any obligation to make us feel better or more secure. In doing so, we can still the mind and ground the body, breaking open to what we were born to do and be spiritual bypassing is worth outgrowing all we have to do is stop turning away from our pain and consciously enter it this means an end to disembodied living an end to spiritualized dissociation an Mm. end to emotional illiteracy and relational immaturity and as we commit ourselves to a full-bodied awakening rooted in the cultivation of intimacy with all that we are we find a willingness to bring whatever we have kept in the dark out into the open. And from this newfound openness, we emerge with the gifts of our hard work, firsthand wisdom that benefits one and all. And finally, you say authentic spiritual life is the opportunity of a lifetime. It is a constant dying into a deeper life. Emerging from our own ashes becomes no big deal. It's just the way things are. Here, the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys intermingle in unparalleled song. We, their infinite notes, and the music that goes on in the one moment that is all moments. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten I wrote that. I go, well, that's really, I really like that. I, You know, I've heard that from authors where they, you know, especially as prolific an author as you, that you, it's becomes its own material and you kind of birth it, but you release it and let it go to it. Well, some of the things you read earlier from my book, I thought I'd love to put that in my new book on shadow because I have a chapter on spirituality. <laughs> I'd have to rework it a little bit because you can't, yep. self-plagiarism isn't allowed, but still, right. still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, and there's just, I think also hearing it in so many different ways is really valuable because... Um, it, it's in so in some ways so foreign to us in this modern industrialized culture that exactly. like we need to hear it over and over and over again. And we we're coming to a close, Robert. Is there anything you would like to share 
Um, any closing thoughts about spiritual bypassing or ways of connecting with you and your work? Um, I think I'll just talk about the work because everything we said so far is, sums up what you just asked. And I'm, I'm robertmatches.com and I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with men, but last year I began doing groups for women. It happened kind of magically and they all women said, we'd rather keep doing this with you without men there. So mm-hmm. I'm now offering shadow work groups for women. I'm doing one on Maui this, this winter. Um, I'm doing mentorship programs for men are starting, trainings, um, and I'm keeping my groups small. I take eight or ten people max now, so everyone gets plenty of time with me. No one gets left out. And um, I've enjoyed the conversation. I thought we, we could cover a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. We did, yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah. A, you're a great listener, and I like the way you riffed off what I said. And and uh, well, thank you so yeah. much. You're welcome. So you can as. Dr. Robert Augustus Masters mentioned you can connect with his uh, work at robertmasters.com. And we were discussing his book, Spiritual Bypassing, When Spirituality Disconnects Us from What Really Matters, Learning to Recognize and Transform the Obstacles that Keep Us from Living Life Fully. And all of his books are accessible on his website, as well as the Master Center for Transformation and all of his workshops that are coming up. So you can um, connect with uh, Robert there. So thank you, Robert, so much for being here with us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your words and your work are so greatly needed in the world today. I'm thrilled that you have another book coming out, and we'll have to have you back on for a conversation about that if you're up for that. It's been a great gift to have you here with me. So thank you. Thank you. In the meantime, to our listeners, you can join us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Facebook page. You can follow our Twitter feed at Revolution Well and connect with us on our website at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. And you can also log on to Becoming Embodied. It's a Facebook page um, where we are just talking about learning more about the movement toward awakening to the wisdom of your body that is your birthright and embarking on a sensuous journey to your soul. Thank you all for joining us on uh, Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well and may we all be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to Pathways to Health for Our World with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.